0: I have been uh, teaching now for thirty years at uh, California Baptist University and uh, in that time I have uh, taught people who uh, their children returned and I taught them and now it's beginning to be the case that their grandchildren are coming I must be at the end (laughs) Uh, when I first came, I was uh, partly popular because uh, I was contemporary. Uh, now I'm popular because I'm an old funny fart. And uh, that's, that's not the same. <laughs> um, one of the things I've noticed uh, is a major change in the uh, ability to, to comprehend uh, among students. And uh, um, to communicate among professors. And I'm noticing this in, in social media everywhere that uh, we live in a culture and a world where people are very, very convinced of their perception. And they do not want any facts to get in the way of that perception. And whatever they feel becomes reality. And it's what we call postmodernism. Uh, The postmodern worldview is a worldview that's largely based on feelings, and if uh, someone was born in the late 90s or right after the beginning of the millennium, they have grown up in a postmodern kind of mindset and worldview. And those of us, I go back to 1950 uh, of the last century, uh, I'm at the end of the Modern worldview. And so there's a changing of the guard going on between moderns and postmoderns, and that has a major effect on us in terms of how we perceive reality and how we act in that reality. Now, the truth is, there are people who are older who are postmodern because that began in the 60s, and there are people who are uh, millennials who still have a modern worldview because a worldview is taught and caught. And I want to talk about that, so I've entitled this uh, series Worldview and Mindset, uh, and today is the series introduction. There's been a struggle between the perspective of God and the perspective of man ever since the Garden of Eden. The idea that God knew best was challenged by Satan so that Eve was deceived and ultimately Adam chose to sin. The story of mankind, therefore, is a battle of worldviews. Is reality as God sees it, or says it is, or as it appears to man? This battle of worldviews was aggravated at Babel when God changed the worldview of man into the worldviews of men by developing cultures and languages. For us Gentiles who are Judeo-Christians, in a post-Christian and post-modern America, this battle of worldviews is of great significance for us and for our children. And so this series is going to address worldview from a biblical perspective and I'm going to consider the concept of mindset as well uh, in that context. My goal for this series is to make the issues clear to you uh, and to assist you in maintaining a biblical worldview and mindset uh, in your children. When I was growing up even non-Christians had a large amount of biblical knowledge and a biblical worldview in their context. So whether they believed, whether their mindset was to obey or not, their worldview included a great deal of the biblical worldview. But my generation changed that and moved into relativity and then into this post-Christian reality. And so even in the church... A lot of people do not have a biblical worldview. And so I want to talk about that in a series. um, And we'll be looking at several biblical passages each week related to this. And I hope that it will help you. Today what you need to keep in mind is the two concepts. Worldview and mindset. Because I'm going to try to define those uh, for you. So the term worldview uh, is actually originally German. And it was coined by Immanuel Immanuel Kant, uh, in the 1700s. I'm terrible at German, but in German of the 1700s, even people who speak German probably aren't correct on it. But it's Weltenchung, or something to that manner. I had a German exchange student who I tried to get to tell me how to pronounce the word correctly. She couldn't hear what I was saying, and I couldn't understand what she was saying because of the phonetics being somewhat different but that's close enough brother and so we're going to leave it at that it's worldview in English okay uh... and what it means as it was coined was the way God sees reality versus the way man sees reality now if I'm standing here I see this room from a perspective that's right here and if you're standing on the other end of the room you see the same room but you see it from a very different perspective and that's just a matter of location. There's also personality and culture and language and all kinds of other things that interfere with these perspectives and that's really what we're talking about. So, the the worldview and perspective between God or God's thoughts and man and man's thoughts. So, why is the worldview of man different than the worldview of God? In, originally it wasn't. It was only a matter of location. God was in heaven and on earth. And man was in the Garden of Eden. And he was on earth. But the worldview, what he, how he perceived reality, was what God told him. God said, this is reality. You will eat of this tree. You will not eat of these trees. And that's the way it was. And so the worldview was the same. But in a word, what changed the, the human worldview is Sin. So, in Isaiah chapter 6, chapter 55, verse 6, we have a passage that I think is really important for us to keep in mind. It's a passage that many people committed to memory in generations past, but I have not heard it quoted except out of context by this uh, most recent generation. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him. While he is near, let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return to the Lord, and he will have compassion on him, and to our God, and he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth. So are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and they do not return back without first watering the earth and making it bare and sprout, and finishing seed to the sower, furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater. so my word uh, so will my word be, which goes forth from my mouth, it will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it, For you will go out with joy and be led forth with peace and the mountains and the hills will break forth into shouts of joy and the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush, or the cypress will come up. Instead of the uh, nettle, the myrtle will come up Instead of, and it will be a memorial to the Lord and an everlasting sign which will not be cut off. And what God is saying is, I have spoken my word into this creation as to what I am doing and how you are to perceive it. And just as I send rain and snow and it does what I want it to do before it returns, so my word will do the same thing. And so it was the word of the Lord given to Adam that Adam got an alternative And that alternative created sin. So that man now saw the world differently than God saw it. And man believed he saw it accurately. And that has caused uh, a great deal of chaos and trouble in this world. So, what makes up the human worldview? Um, What makes up the worldview are uh, four components... And I'm going to talk about each of them, give you some biblical text for them. The first one is language. Our language gives us the way of sorting and thinking uh, about reality. We think and we communicate and we do all of that with our our language. Uh, Secondly, our culture uh, gives us a context by which we interpret and perceive things. Thirdly, the environment that we live in. If you live on an island surrounded by the ocean or you live out in the middle of the Arctic where there's nothing but snow, that reality that you are living in, that environment that you live in and the language that you use to interpret it is going to give you a perspective of reality that will be somewhat different. And finally, our experience. When we experience things, we experience things somewhat individually, but they are interpreted by our language and our culture and our environment. And those things together, those external ones then, are internalized into our mind and our heart as individuals that makes up what we call the structure or the cognitive map of the mind. So, I want to talk about each of those things. Language, culture, environment and experience. First of all, language. Adam and Eve had language. Uh, they could talk to one another through their language, and they could talk to God. And it was in the context of language that Satan used language to change their thinking about what God had said. Has God not said, you can eat of everything in the tree? Well, that's not exactly what he said. Oh, that's not what he meant. That's not really the way it is. God knows if you eat from that tree, you'll be like him. Oh, so now not only does it look good, but it'll make me wise. Their perception was changed by this linguistic structure. And you know that if you speak more than one language. If you speak more than one language, and one of the things we do in here is, uh, as we learn a little Hebrew and we learn a little Greek, you begin to think of biblical words somewhat differently because you're thinking of them within that language vocabulary context. And and that's that's important. So, the idea is that God uh, uses language. Language gives us nuances of meaning and predisposes us to think and perceive and to remember, even our memory is affected by language, uh, using the categories of that language. Now, God directly affronted human language after sin had entered the world. And we see that in Genesis chapter eleven, I'd like you to turn there with me. Genesis chapter eleven it says, "Now the whole earth and the, use the same language and the same words. From the time of Adam to this time, there is one language and one culture and one people." Living in the same environment. So the worldview of man and the worldview of God was the only difference. And it came about as they journeyed east. They found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they used bricks for stone and they used tar for mortar. And they said, let us build for ourselves a city. We need a permanent place to hang out. And a tower whose top will reach to heaven. Uh, That way we've got access to God. Uh, Otherwise we will be scattered abroad over the face of the earth. You know, we're better together here. Let's keep, you know, let's hold hands and sing, we are the world, you know. So the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, behold, they are one people. And they all have the same language and culture, and experience, and environment. And this is what they begin to do. And now nothing that they purpose to do will be impossible to them. If you have a different worldview, you have a different purpose. The worldview of God brings the purpose of God. The worldview of man brings the purpose of men. So he says, come let us go down and confuse their languages. King James says, confound their languages. uh, So that they will not understand one another's speech. That's why we speak these confounded languages, right? So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of the whole earth. And they stopped building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel. Because there the Lord confused the languages of the whole earth. And from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the earth. We're building, we're working together, everything's fine. And then all of a sudden, Mike starts talking gibberish. And I think he's an idiot. And he thinks I'm nuts. And then Troy starts speaking something completely different. We both think he's crazy. And so what begins to happen is we find somebody we can understand. And can understand us. And we say, let's get out of here before these nuts Uh, give us trouble. And God changes the languages, which means he changes the way they think, the way they perceive, the way they communicate. And then he separates them into different environments. And as a result, we have the nations. The nations, the ethnic groups, the cultures, the races, whatever term you want to use, there is a shift that takes place as the biology adapts to the environment, And the language and the culture means we now have to survive in this environment. So our words adapt to this environment. Our tools adapt to this environment. And those people are crazy. And the nations learn war and strife among themselves. God basically divided us and conquered to keep us from working together. Um, Because when we work together, we work our purpose and not his purpose. So, the history of mankind began with a single language and culture and people. The people were sinful, and the worldview of men was against God and His Word. So, at Babel, God separated the languages and migrated us over the earth. This change in language created multiple worldviews and cultures and experiences in the context of very different environments, so that there was now no significant connection between God's worldview and his word, and the, and man's worldviews, plural. You got that? That's what the first 11 chapters of Genesis is about. God created the world. Behold, it was good. Then it gets damaged by sin. The earth is cursed. The people are scattered. We are now separated from God and from one another. And so, uh, we now have cultures... So as groups develop, they share a common language, a common history, and a common environment. And they develop ways to survive, and they create cultural systems that become part of their ethnicity. These patterns of culture are flexible, but generally consistent, and become traditions. You know, tradition. They become traditions of that people group. And the children grow up learning the language in the context of that given culture. And the language and culture that existed before the child, because the child is born, the language is already there, the culture is already there, he's going to be shaped into that culture. And if you take a newborn baby, drop him off in another culture, he's going to grow up speaking and thinking and acting like that culture because it's not genetic, it's learned. So, uh, it's important that we keep that in mind. It's learned in the linguistic, cultural, geographic environment. That the child is in. Which brings me to how we internalize that. We internalize that through our experience. Now the worst way of learning. Is what we're doing right now. Me talking. And you trying to remember what the heck I said. Okay? Very little. Will go from this message. Into your mind and heart. Unless you are very active learners. And listeners. But generally the way human beings learn. Is that we learn by doing. We don't learn by sitting in classes and have somebody drone on about a subject. We learn best by experiential process. We learn our language by speaking the language, by reading the language, by writing the language. We learn skills by doing them. You can read all the books you want about how to play the piano. You won't play the piano. You have to practice. You have to do it. Okay? We learn language by speaking. We learn skills by doing them. You're not going to learn to sing without singing. The process of becoming a member of a language and culture group is not genetics, but experiencing and doing what that culture does. And we do it as we learn growing up as a kid, and it becomes part of our identity, becomes part of our mindset, becomes who we are. And we think that it makes perfect sense because it's all we've known. And the minute we see somebody who does it a little different, we think there's something wrong with them. That's called ethnocentrism. But it's it's the process of human beings that goes all the way back to Babel. Uh, It is the doing of God. So the result of Babel was God creating the nations, the Gentiles, people groups whose thoughts and ways are separated from God and from each other. And what the dynamics of this worldview does is that what we internalize from the language and the culture and our experiences is we have, if you will, what I describe as filters over all of our senses. So, our culture gives us glasses with a prescription that says, see this, don't look at this. My glasses are progressives, so I guess they're democratic. Uh, They used to be bifocals. Uh, on, On the bottom, they help me see up close. And... At the top, they help me to see far. uh, And then most stuff is in the middle where I can't see anything. They're supposed to help me there. But it's such a narrow focus. If I turn these things this way, I'm a dangerous driver. Because when I'm looking up here, I can't see anything out there. I see things close here. So the reality is, this is what your culture does. Through the language, through your experience, it says, look at that. That's important. Don't look at that. That's not important. And that's what you grow up with. Secondly, it causes you to hear things through your worldview. Now, it's not only our language and our phonetics, but if I showed you a western movie, and in that western movie I was playing Chinese music, you would think it was a comedy. The Chinese wouldn't, but you would. Because that music doesn't go with John Wayne or whatever western you're you're watching, right? So you would interpret it different than somebody who that music was more natural to them, When maybe an American movie has been dubbed over for them. Does that make sense? We taste through our worldview. The seasonings that we use for our foods and that other cultures use for their foods change the flavor of that same piece of meat. And so we interpret that as being appropriate or not appropriate. Same with smells. Uh, whenever I smell a skunk, I think it stings. Whenever Linda smells a skunk, she goes, oh, it's a good smell, reminds me of Arizona. Now, it reminds me of Arizona too, but I don't have the same love of Arizona that she has, right? So she's interpreting that based on her experience and background different than I am, okay? So it's important, and we touch things interpreting through the gloves that our culture gives us. If you have big fireman's gloves, you can't pick up a dime, but it'll protect you from fire. But if you have surgeon's gloves, you can pick up a dime, but they won't protect you from fire. So whatever filter your culture gives you over your senses, you will experience the world completely different. So if I brought in a pizza here and I opened it up, you know, had Porky's Pizza drop off a pizza, I opened it up and there were big beetles walking on the pizza. Okay? Okay. You guys would say, the women would say, I'm not eating that. You know, And the guys would say, they didn't walk here. you A know, little male-female difference. <laughs> but there are people in the world who would say, what is the food walking on? Because we interpret a pizza as food and beetles not as food. And they interpret beetles as food and pizza not as food. Okay? That's worldview. And it's that drastic in terms of separating our thoughts from God and separating our thoughts from each other. Okay? We think, act, remember, and emote based on our worldview. And our worldview changes over time so that those in the culture who were several generations back perceive differently than those who perceive presently depending on how fast that worldview shifts. So, what I'm suggesting is that God's worldview exited from the creation. It was there with Adam and Eve. It got split into man's view and God's view. Then man's view got separated into multiple views. And now we were apart from the word of God and apart from the worldview of God, the purpose of God, and we were off doing our own purposes in competition with one another. That's literally the biblical story. And then in chapter 12 of Genesis, God begins to change that story. Genesis 12, verses 1 to 4. Now the Lord said to Avram, Go forth from your country, from your relatives, from your father's house, To a land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you. And I will make your name great. So you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse the one who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him. And the Lord went with him. Now Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Man, 75 years old. Now, people lived a little longer then, but dang, okay? that's That's a wow. In other words, Abraham is part of this myriad of cultures. And God says, I want you out of that environment. I want you out of that culture. I want you out of that place. I'm going to alter everything about you so that my worldview will be seen in you. And those who bless you will be blessed. And those who curse you will be cursed. I'm going to make you a people. I'm going to make you a culture. I'm going to make you a language. I'm going to make you a place. And that is going to be where I will manifest my word and my purpose. So that you will be a light to the nations. Paul makes this argument. He makes this argument in Romans chapter 3. In verse 1 he says, Then what advantage has the Jew? Or what is the benefit of circumcision? Now remember, circumcision is the sign of Abraham. So what he's saying is, What advantage does the Jewish people with the Sinai covenant have? And what is the advantage of being a child of Abraham? Great in every way. First of all, he says, They were entrusted with the oracles of God. Well, what is that? The oracles of God. God's word came from Israel. And they had the advantage of knowing that. And even this word came from Israel. And they had the advantage of access to that. Now, Paul's going to go on and say, look, there's a people, I mean, what he's saying in in the context of this, is there's a people who would be Israel, or what we call the Jews. Their language is going to be Hebrew, their culture is going to be Torah-based, and their environment is going to be the promised land, and their experience is going to be the commandments of God. So that God is going to create a language, culture, experiential people, who will possess and do the word of God, so that they will illuminate the Gentiles. Now, in the rest of this chapter, Romans 3, Paul argues that that is true even when they don't obey. Israel can't help but be an example of God. Because when they obey, he's blessing them. And when they disobey, he curses them and scatters them. Right? And then when they call back to him, he brings them back. So they are going to be this, whether they're in obedience or disobedience, they're better off if they're in obedience. And the idea is that the nations will see that manifestation of God and say, oh, there is a God. He's a wise God. He's a good God. He blesses those who who do right and he curses those who do wrong. Uh, Maybe we ought to get in on that plan. Or we can choose our own plan. Now, this is important. If you separate the scriptures from the land of Israel and the people of Israel, you take them out of context. And you then twist them into a worldview of men and you pervert the word of God. And the church has done this throughout history as we have taken Hebrew based, even the Greek here is written from a Hebrew mindset. We take those scriptures and we ignore that Jewish mindset. And that, that culture created by God. And we say, we'll just use our culture. Because after all, our culture is pretty good too. And then what we end up doing is misinterpreting those things. Uh, not completely. It's impossible to completely misinterpret the scriptures. But it's very easy to get the emphasis on the wrong syllable. And that's been a lot of church history. So, uh, keep in mind uh, that the worldview then of God is still on the earth. It's found in the people of Israel, in the land of Israel, in the scriptures of Israel. And this word of God in that context must be understood there before it can be accurately translated into our context and lived in our context. Okay? So, now what about mindset? Mindset is different. A mindset is an attitude. It's not the same as a worldview. Worldview is just that basic interpretive structure that we're using. But the mindset is an attitude. We set our minds on things. And when you set your mind on something, you, you focus more directly on an attitude towards something. And the Bible talks about that. Our attitude towards God as revealed through his word is our mindset. And the biblical mindset in the scriptures is contrasted with the mindset of the world. So let me tell you what the biblical mindset is. I've narrowed it down. There's much more to it, but I've narrowed it down for the purpose of this series into three things. It is humility... Trust, which is faith, and obedience. Humility before God. Trust of God's word that God has spoken and he has not stuttered. And therefore we can trust what he says. And therefore we can live by it even if it seems impractical. Even if it doesn't match what we see in the human world view. Because God knows what he's doing and his word will not return to him void. Now, what's the human worldview? If I took all the human worldviews together and looked at them in contrast to the biblical worldview, it's this. Arrogance, we can do it ourselves; Self-reliance, we can do it our way. And rebellion, I don't need God's word. It's dated, it's narrow, it's meaningless. So these are the mindsets. That you have to choose. Will you choose humbleness, trust, and obedience, or will you choose arrogance, self reliance, and rebellion? Now, I have walked both paths. You guys know my history. I spent some time in the arrogant, self reliant, rebellious part of that. Left the ministry and went out to do it myself. What a mess. Now, I could have learned by looking at other people who did that, but I'm one of those people who's got to learn it by experience, you know. If you fall off a roof, I'm not likely to go, man, that roof is unsafe. I'm going to get up there and see why you fell off the roof, which means I'm likely to do it too. It's just my nature, okay? That's why some people have called me the pastor of the church of the rebellious heart, okay? prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. It's my nature, and I don't like it, but it's there. So I have to stay very close to the path, because I'm I'm easily able to run amok. So when I learned that I had to humble myself before God, I had to learn to trust Him. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And then obedience gives me an experience. When you obey the word of God, you have an experience that comes from God. Okay? God's not out there in the circumstances. And God's not in your feelings. God is only in your experience when you're a doer of the word. So let me give you some passages for that. We'll start with James chapter 4. And I'm getting close to winding up here. So it's time to wake up. James 4, 1 to 7. Now what happened when God changed the languages of the people? They all thought each other was crazy and they tried to kill each other. And we've had, and the nations have learned war and they will do that until the Messiah comes when the nations will learn war no more. Okay? That's at the national level. What about at the individual level? James says, What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is, it, is not the source... Your pleasures that wage war in your members. You lust and do not have. You commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain. So you fight and quarrel. You, you uh, do not have because you do not ask. And you do not ask. You ask and do not receive. Because you ask with wrong motives. So that you may spend it on your pleasures. You want it your way. You adulteresses do you not know. That friendship with the world is hostility towards God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Do you think that the scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. Why does God want his spirit in us? Because his spirit and his word will give us the ability to obey him. To walk in his ways and to end some of the difficulties that we have. Look at verse 6. This is critical. He gives a greater grace, therefore it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Remember what I said? Biblical mindset, humility, worldly mindset, arrogance. Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Now, what's double-minded there? Double-minded is this. How much of the world can I have and still have God? I want, I want God. I want the kingdom. I want to obey God. But I, I want this stuff too. Okay? And James says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Some people have just enough Christianity to be miserable. And that's the problem. And some people think, if I gain the world, I can bring the gospel of Christ into it. You won't have the gospel of Christ when you gain the world. And that's been seen in the history of everyone who's tried that. People who think they're going to do a great thing for God have a, a worldview of the world. We're not here to do great things for God. We're here to obey a great God who is doing great things among his people. And we've got that backwards. Second verse. Hebrews 11. You know this passage. This is the uh, passage, uh, the great faith passage. uh, But I'll read it quickly. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. The convictions of things not seen. Let me tell you what faith is. Faith is not believing in something that isn't there until it is. That is not faith. That's assumption. Faith is this. If I tell you that my car is downstairs in the parking lot, you either believe me or you don't, right? And if I say, in that car, I have brought you a gift, then you're believing what I say is the assurance of the thing hoped for, the thing promised, and the conviction of the thing that you haven't seen yet. So unless God says something, you don't have faith, you only have assumption. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. If God doesn't speak, there's nothing to have faith in. We trust in his word and we trust God because the one who promised is faithful to do what he said. Not to do what you want, not to do what you think, not to do what you think it says, but what he said. What he says in his word will accomplish exactly what he sent it to do and you're not going to alter that purpose. Now, going on from there. By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God. So that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. Scientists can do an autopsy on Mother Earth all they want. And they're never going to find out how old she is. Because she wasn't made from these natural processes. She was made by the word of God who said, Let there be light. And there was light. God spoke things into existence. How do we know that? We don't know that. We understand that by faith. God said it. We trust it. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, to which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous, God testifying about his gifts, and through faith, even though he's dead, he still speaks. That word is recorded for us so that we will know the truth. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death, and he was not found because God took him up, and he obtained a witness uh, before his being taken up, that he was pleasing to God. Now, I want you to know this. You probably, If you don't read the Old Testament very much, you won't get the Enoch bit. All we know is Enoch was not, for God took him. Right? Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. We have no idea what to do. If you go back to the genealogies, you're going to see two genealogies. There's a genealogy of Cain, and there's a genealogy of Seth. The genealogy of Cain is the, the, the line of sinners. And the line of Seth are those who called on the name of the Lord. In both those genealogies, there are two people who are named the same. One of them is, is Enoch. And the other one is Lamech. So it's God saying, I want you to see the contrast. Cain had a son and he named him Enoch. And he built a city for him and named it Enoch. the worldview of building our own purpose and city. And having our reputation make us great in the world is Enoch. But there was an Enoch on the line of Seth, and he walked with God, and he was not, forgot to he had no reputation in the world, but he was a great saint of God. Get the difference? You go down the line, you get the line down from Enoch, you get Lamech and Lamech's got two wives and he's killed two people and he says, if Cain's avenged, I'll be avenged more because I'm greater than Cain. At the end of Seth's line is a guy named Lamech and Lamech has a son and he names him Noah and he says, perhaps God will protect us and cleanse us from the curse through this one. Humility, Faith, obedience. The worldviews affect how you live your life. The mindset affects how you live your life. So, verse 6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now, seeking him is what? We go back to our first verse. How do you seek God in Isaiah? You have to give up your unrighteous thoughts. You have to think the thoughts of God. I was a rock and roll musician for many years before uh, <coughs> before I became a has-been. And uh, during that time, uh, I would do dances. We played dances for about four hours. So I have in my head the chords and the music and the arrangements and the... And all of that for four hours of 50s and 60s songs non-stop without music. I put all of that in my mind and in my heart so that I could make a buck. And to this day, I can't say certain phrases without another phrase happening. So if I say I was walking down the street, I hear singing (laughs) doo-wah-diddy-diddy-dum-diddy-doo. Or somebody says, she's so fine. Oh, yes, she's so fine. I want to hold your hand. All that stuff just goes to my hand all the time, okay? I committed that stuff into my heart. Imagine committing this to your heart. Not looking for what does the text say... But knowing what the text says, that's getting the biblical worldview in yourself. Okay? Biblical worldview is not 12 verses. It's 66 books that have been internalized, memorized, and acted upon so that we have the experience of God's word. I have, since my rebellion, worked very hard to get more and more of God's word committed into my mind because I am battling the double-mindedness of rock and roll versus God. But you have to be a doer of the word, James chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 21. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness in humility, there's that word again, in humility, receive the word implanted, put it in you, which is able to save your souls and prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, read American Christian, he is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and once he has gone away, uh, he immediately has forgotten what kind of person he was. Yesterday morning, I, I haven't nicked myself shaving in a long time. put a new blade in and I nicked myself right up here. And I was bleeding like a stuck pig, which isn't kosher. So, you know, so... I'm cleaning up the blood and I got some toilet paper and I stuck it on there. And then I go into my office. And something's tickling me. And I thought there was a bug. And I grabbed it and scraped it to do a bug and I ripped my face open again because I forgot what manner of man I was. That's exactly what it's saying. You can look at the script and say, "Well, that's really good stuff. Bye. Or you can say, I have to start... Putting this in my heart and in my life. This has to be frontals on my forehead to guide me as to where I'm going. It's got to be on my hand, in my actions, so that I am a doer of the word. Otherwise, you're just a layaway Christian. But you have to do this humbly. Man, the people who use verses to rip each other apart. Okay, I don't learn the scriptures so I can teach you. I learn the scriptures so I can learn. And I can do it. Then I hope out of my experience of learning. To give you some insight. But you know what? You're all old. The children are outside. So you're all old enough and ugly enough. To be responsible for yourselves. Right? So I'm here as a guide. But I'm not here to do it for you. So he says. If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue. Oh, you had to use that, God? The tongue? He deceives his own heart. This man's religion is worthless. We're given three things here. The next verse says, Pure and undefiled religion, in the sight of God the Father, is to visit the orphans, widows in their distress, and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. I've always gone to that second verse and said, there it is. Righteousness, doing good, For the widow and the poor, and holiness, keeping yourself unspotted from the world. But none of that means anything if you don't bridle your tongue. And you know what it takes to bridle your tongue? I have been fighting this thing for the last several lengths, trying to work through this tongue thing. Uh, And I realize now, you you know what you have to do to bridle your tongue? You have to become nothing. You have to humble yourself you got to think that what you have to say doesn't have to be said. That, my friend, is humility. Everybody's saying the wrong thing and you keep your mouth shut because you're not their leader. Boy, that's, that's un-American. I have a right to say things even if I don't know what I'm talking about mm-hmm. as an American. Right? So, Worldview is shared. It comes from a community. It's why we have the Disciple Center. My goal is for you in your homes, in this place, and in our relationships with one another to use the language of God and the commandments of God and the thoughts of God and the actions of God so that our children grow up not in the world but in our context. And that's important because the context that is changing out there is changing towards hostility towards God. We went from fear of God, maybe in the 50s, to apathy towards God, to now hostility towards God in the worldview shift of this culture. So worldview is shared and comes from a community. So we need a common language, a common culture, a common environment, and a common experience as being part of a people who share these things. You won't be able to do it in your children by yourself. You're going to need a community. And it's no longer the neighbor's going to do it. And you can't just outsource it to a Christian school because largely they've got the same problem. So we're going to have to do it as a community of faith. That's why we congregate. And it's more important because you and I are in the diaspora and we're in an increasingly post-Christian and post-modern America. So we have to work on worldview together and create a context for our children to grow up in. But that doesn't eliminate our individual structure because mindset is an individual choice. You and I must individually choose humility. You and I individually must come to faith. You and I individually must come to obedience. And I can't say, God, they're not doing it, so I'm not doing it. Our kids used to love uh, in the back seat to say, are we on our own? What they wanted was, we're not on our own. Okay? Okay? If there was noise in the back, everybody was in trouble. Right? Because we didn't care who it was. But that's not good. We need to care who it is. The one who does it should be in trouble. So there's an individuality as well as a community. We as a community have responsibility. But we as individuals also must choose uh, our humility and our trust and our obedience. Now, how does that work? I've got just two more verses. First one is Deuteronomy chapter 11. Beginning at verse 18. You, This is about the worldview. This is about the culture that we are trying to create with the disciple center you therefore shall impress these words of mine on your heart and on your soul and you shall bind them for a sign on your hand they shall be as frontals on your forehead notice it starts with you and you shall teach them to your sons talking of them when you sit in your house when you walk along the road when you lie down and when you rise up you'll write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates So that your days and the days of your sons may be multiplied on the land which the Lord swore to your fathers. God told Israel, if you don't maintain this worldview and mindset, it will be lost in a generation. Lost in a generation. And we are three generations down that road. He then goes on and says... Verse 22, if you are careful to keep all this commandment, which I am commanding you to do, to love the Lord your God and to walk in all his ways and hold fast to him, then the Lord will drive out all the nations from before you, and you will dispossess nations greater and mightier than you. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads shall be yours, and the border will be from the wilderness to Lebanon, from the river Euphrates as far as the western sea. No man will be able to stand before you. The Lord your God will lay the dread of you and the fear of you on the land which you set foot as he has spoken. See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. A blessing if you listen to the commandments of the Lord your God, which I am commanding you today. And a curse if you do not listen to the commandments of the Lord your God. But turn aside from the way which I have commanded you by following other gods which you have not known. So what he's saying is... That obedience to God is not about being saved. It's about being blessed or cursed in this life. And we're, we need to keep that in mind. One more verse. And it's a verse you're very familiar with. Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2. Therefore I urge you brethren by the mercy of God to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, this culture, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may demonstrate what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. I say through the grace given to me that everyone among you must not think more highly of himself than he ought to think. There's that humility. But to think so as to have sound judgment because God has allotted to each one the measure of faith. There's the faith. And as we have many members in one body and all members don't have the same function, we who are members of Christ are individually members of one another and we have differing gifts and we are to do them. So we have humility, faith, and obedience in community. It's all there, if we'll use it. So, my conclusion. This is not an option. I'm going to explain in future weeks what happened to the Western culture as the worldview of God and the worldview of the Greco-Roman merged, and then amalgamated in America, and how it's now coming apart in our culture and in our churches. I'm going to also explain why the Messianic movement and Judaism can assist us in the reformation of our own faith and that of our children and how we can be a provocation of them to turn back to God as well. So, let's pray.